0: Travelers, and welcome to another episode of Tales of Tabat, a Genshin Lore podcast. Last week, we packed up all our water as we journeyed into the desert and discussed the desert gods. We're still trying to trace Deshret's family tree on Ancestry, but we really haven't gotten very far. <laughs> This week, we'll be discussing The Bloodstained night. Additionally, I want to remind travelers to visit com to see visual representations of the lore mentioned during today's podcast. Your guides have put them together for you to make things a little easier to understand. On our site... You can also find some awesome goodies, including artist spotlights from the community for each episode, wallpapers for download, and a way to check out some of our favorite Genshin merch. Finally, feel free to email us at taleswithavapod at gmail.com to let us know what you think of this week's episode and what topics you'd like to see in the future. So today we're going to be talking about The Blood Stained Knight, which is another one of those elusive character titles that not
1: everyone might have heard about.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. This is the sequel to the Viridescent Venerer episode
1: mm-hmm. and the Crimson Witch, aka Rosalind.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: we're connecting the dots in a lot of these. But you would know the story if you are going for a physical DPS, Kaiyavane. Me <laughs>
0: <laughs> calls me right out.
1: <laughs> physical DPS. Or physical damage in Genshin right now isn't as great as like some of the reactions right now, but it can still be like chef's kiss. It really depends, but I highly recommend
3: getting yourself a four set of this. You know, we love. Yeah. And that would be the bloodstained chivalry artifact set. Yes. In Leeway, Which is what talks about the bloodstained knight. Just to make that clear. Mm -hmm.
2: And I have Eula and I want to build her and I don't know if I should get this set or keep what i have on her which is like pro cryo so let me know
0: who's a eula (laughs) excuse
2: she's that npc the
1: npc
0: you
2: know
1: the character that's never been out she's amber's girlfriend hello oh oh, mika's boss yes
0: (laughs) oh okay i see i see i love it I hope she becomes playable soon. That would
2: be wonderful. 3.8, man. I keep saving things up until she does. Exactly. This is why I'm like, what artifact should I get for this NPC? She's about to hit playable.
1: (laughs) If you want a physical damage, Eula, this is the set for her.
3: Yeah. Uh, Again, just to be clear too, we're all just joking because Eula has not had a banner run in like 3,000 years. So we're all waiting for it to come back. Over 300 days. I don't even
0: know who you guys are talking about, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to back up. So today we're going to be talking about the Bloodstained Knight and the Bloodstained Knight is mentioned in the artifact set, as Tiff said, the Bloodstained Chivalry set, which can be found over in Leeway at the Clear Pool and Mountain Cavern Domain. It's kind of back behind, like, Cloud Retainer's hangout spot. Besides physical damage, if you have a four-piece set of it, it's also great for charged attacks, and it reduces your stamina. So, you know, really the non-magical way of going in Genshin. (laughs) But if you got Dendro, you don't need that. No, I'm joking. I do have physical damage characters, too. But... Despite the fact that our domain is over in leeway, the story of the Bloodstained Knight actually takes us back to old Mondstadt, which we've visited twice, as Al mentioned in our old past episodes. So we're going back to a very close to, but pre-cataclysm Mondstadt for this story yes. and some of you might remember us talking about La Senora aka Rosaline who also was alive back in the days of Mondstadt before the Cataclysm you also might remember us talking about Viri aka the Viridescent Venerer who wasn't necessarily from Mondstadt but did have interaction with some of these old school Mondstadt characters including the person who killed her mm-hmm
2: yeah (laughs) rest in peace
0: i thought it might be helpful if we start and lay out some of the key players in today's story because a few of these characters have a few names which is very typical
3: of the fatui no everybody in this game has 35 names (laughs) i don't Well, if you're a traveler, you do.
0: Oh my God. Um, Not wrong. This just became very meta.
3: But yeah, I mean, everybody seems to have multiple names or some sort of title. And then the more important they are, the more names they get. (laughs) <laughs> we could just assume that they're just going to keep rowing, rowing, growing. So the Bloodstained Knight is also known as the White Knight, back where our story begins in Old Mondstadt. We also believe that his name is Roland. While there's no specific text that is 100% concrete on it, there are some assumptions that we can make to say that his name actually is Roland. So
0: Then we have Arundelin, who is one of the prior Grandmasters. And every time I go to say Grandmaster, I want to say Acting Grandmaster, but Jean is the only <laughs> acting Grandmaster we know of so far mm-hmm. and Arundalin is also known as the lion of light Rawr. Rawr. Rawr.
2: <laughs> which would be like what the the lion of the So, is that the direction?
0: Oh, Oh God, I don't know. There's too many fucking directionals in Mondstadt. Yeah, the
3: directions don't make any sense. What are the four (laughs) winds
2: again?
0: The dragon of the east, wolf of the north, lion of the south. But we're going to jump into the three other quick characters. We're going to have Rostam, who is also known as the wolf pup and member of the Knights of Favonius. We will have the Maiden Beloved, who is currently unknown what their actual name was. You might recognize that from another artifact set. And we'll have, of course, our beautiful, wonderful Viri, a.k.a. the Viridescent Fenrir. And we're going to mention a blind brother.
3: (laughs) There's a blind brother, you know, just hanging about. I mean, we
1: mentioned it in Viri's,
3: you know, he dies at some point. Maybe. Spoilers I think he's Timmy
1: Damn yeah, it
3: You know what Everybody's oh, Timmy
1: Oh no well, Timmy But didn't. Timmy's
0: not blind Timmy's Is he Timmy's not
2: blind Timmy might you be blind You don't know
0: He's never mentioned What he can see And not mm-hmm. see <laughs> he, yep. he can see us Scaring away the birds Now he hears that He smells the death <laughs> <He> <laughs> don't, smells. don't you
2: think If Timmy were blind He would be like oh, I'm so blind And I heard That you killed Those ducks Ducks
0: Doug! So
2: how could you do this to someone that is so incapacitated by his sight
0: no because i think timmy's actually selfless so he's not mad that you're killing them because he wants them he's mad that you're recklessly killing pigeons
2: the things that he wants to kill right
0: no he doesn't want to kill any. no i'm talking about
2: the ducks not the pigeons the ducks
0: well we go feed the ducks we
3: don't kill the ducks. Yeah, we scare away the ducks
2: no do you not do you not know this? When Temmie gives you that quest to go feed the ducks you can kill the ducks instead. Yeah. And then he throws a fit and you have to like go apologize to him the next day.
1: Do you know what this reminds (laughs) me of? Shout out to everyone who is in English class at the moment reading Catcher in the Rye. Where did the ducks go?
0: You know, I've never read that. Where do the ducks
1: go? Oh my God, you lucky.
0: I was an English nerd too. Like I was in like the AP Englishes and everything. I never read Catcher in the
3: Rye. Really? See, I actually read Catcher in the Rye before I had to in school because one Thanksgiving my family was talking about how the person that murdered john lennon had it in his pocket yeah he referenced catcher and the rye and all that kind of stuff and i was like wait but what do you mean <laughs> so i ended up reading it when i was like know,
2: uh, 13 i never read it i was forced to read the great gatsby
3: i didn't read that
1: either. i can also understand that i did not enjoy the great gatsby there are some very short stories that he's done that are beautiful i can't get the great Gatsby that's most because I fucking hate Daisy (laughs) I hate her I hate her so fucking much
2: (laughs) I mean I was forced to read it in the I think the seventh grade and I thought it was so boring
1: it is because it's like how can you relate to these upper echelon like New Yorkers who have mansions on the bay yeah
2: I was like a gay boy in Oklahoma, like in rural Oklahoma. I'm like, I don't care about any of this.
3: <laughs> you know what I did relate to of mice and men?
0: <laughs> Didn't read that either.
3: Well, you know what means it only matters if you read the bloodstained chivalry. I'm this, so you're good. Trying. Let's bring it all back. <laughs> well,
0: so let's bring it back to when the bloodstained night wasn't the bloodstained night. And we had hypothetically speaking, Roland. A young Roland joining the Knights of Favonius. He is taught by Rostam, the young wolf
2: pup. And Rostam was the second in command of Arundelin at the time, who was the grandmaster of the Knights of Favonius.
1: If you guys want more info on Rostam, just listen to our Rosaline episode.
2: Yeah, we're going to constantly be like hearkening back to Rosaline, the uh, Senora episode, and the viridescent. Venerer episode from season one.
1: A.K.A. Veery.
2: Veery, our little honey Veery. So Rostam was
1: honey nut lesbio
2: She was. She was. Rostam. (laughs) He grew up with Arundelin, who was the actual commander of the Knights of Favonius, and. Fun thing about Rostam is Rostam actually developed the blade works of Favonia, like the Favonius blade works, which we've at this point you've heard about the blade works of Favonius. So, Rostam actually developed that. Well, most of it. Arundelin developed part of it and that got lost to time. I think Rostam had a vision and Arundelin did not. Arundalan was just like a big meathead and <laughs> Rostam actually had a vision. So, you know, Rostam was from a peasant family where Arundelin was from nobility. So Arundelin was sort of automatically given the title of the Grand Master, whereas Rostam was his shadow, even though they were best friends.
1: Big question. I don't, I can't remember if we went over this or not, but is Arundelin a gunhilder?
2: We don't know. Ooh. We you know he's the <laughs> lion of the light.
1: That's true. Which could
0: be like a gene relation.
1: Mm-hmm. And the Gunnhilders have like a long legacy of being either in the knights or grandmasters.
2: Yeah, doesn't Jean have some kind of lion name?
1: Well, she's the dandelion knight, but she wanted to be the lion fang knight. But her constellation is a lion, a roaring lion.
0: But spoiler alert, you know, Arundel and dies i don't think we know if he has kids or anything do we
3: i don't think so he kind of loses he loses all of his like want to kind of be like anybody anymore after rostom dies um oh, yeah like that's where he kind of doesn't like you know continue making blade work or doing anything like that too he just kind of makes himself secluded and is very depressed yeah he becomes very very depressed
0: and i would assume that when you're depressed like that you don't have kids don't
3: anything, sometimes
2: maybe he already had kids
3: could be. Yeah, there's nothing really saying one way or the other, so you know, we don't actually know and I don't think there's anything that actually goes that far back into any of their lineage.
2: Yeah, we don't we don't really know.
3: Yeah. Mm, okay so I think it would be all speculation at this point
0: I don't know I feel like he 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 didn't have kids but I don't know that's totally just me I have no r- in reason <laughs> I have no real rhyme or reason I just feel like he lost his bestie and the whole world was collapsing around them <laughs> and he probably for Travis know, like the cataclysm was happening had just happened it might have even still been happening and he lost his friend and whatever I don't, I don't want to spoil too much anyway Rostam the wolf pup was training roland the white knight to become a knight of favonius which i think is really cute personally i love comparing rostam and arudalin to Luke and kaya kind of what you were just saying how like one of them was kind of like from an aristocracy of sorts had more power and money and the other one kind of came from nothing but they were besties oh which makes me nervous about kaya and his life but anyway i think it's interesting who would be roland in that situation
3: then if Luke and kaya are your Rostam and an Arundel. It's B Bennett. <laughs> oh
0: well, it could be a few people because Kai is actually like very well
1: known for training new knights. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that's true.
2: D. would be Rostam. Mm-hmm.
1: No, really? Yeah, I thought going back to the Rosalind La Signora episode, I think we landed on that. Rostam is D. Luke. Mm-hmm. Jean is La Senora and Kaya is a Rudolin.
2: Or Jean could be a Rudolin
1: Yes. I'm flipping it for now. I like Rudolin
0: as Diluc now. <laughs>
2: Rostam is Diluc because Rostam was very, like, super serious. He always had, like, this furrowed brow. The only one that could get him to unfurrow his brow was Senora,
1: A.K.A. Jean in Diluc's situation.
2: Right. But just mm-hmm. to remind everyone, Rostam was Senora's love for and Signora had gone to Sumeru to study magic. And then while she was gone, the cataclysm started happening and then Rostam died. And then when she came back, that's what her, turned her into evil Signora. And, you know, Rostam was also rumored to have a secret spy network.
0: <laughs>
2: which we all know that Luke is a part of now. So
0: Well, regardless, Kai is known for training people, including Mika and Bennett. And Mika says that, you know, Kai... Kaya took him under his wing and did a lot of tests for him. So that's his I thing, I think. But anyway, so Rostam was training Roland. And when he was training Roland, he really focused on instilling the rights of justice, what is right and wrong, chivalry, into Roland. And Roland took that, like, way too seriously. Yeah. And he became like obsessed with chivalry and justice for all like he was very dedicated to just doing the right thing. And he felt like doing the just thing would give him all of the awards and accolades that he needed. And he really, I mean, it felt like this guy didn't even need money. And he would do really well in Fontaine. I feel like him and the Hydro Archon
3: would have been besties. They'd be bougie besties. But I mean, White Knight even kind of comes into our world outside of Tabat because we've all heard of the knight in shining armor and the in all the fairy tales when everybody's saved by this knight. He is into that, that White Knight, that savior that person that's going to get everybody out of trouble and be wonderful and all that kind of jazz. And in
1: juxtaposition, there's the Black Knight. And like, though, every time I think of a Black Knight, I think of, ah, it is but a flesh wound. But most of the time, like, we have the Shining White Knight, very honorable and justice forward, while the Black Knight is kind of the roguish knight.
2: It's very much like a cautionary tale of extremes because we know mm-hmm. Arundelin, he was sort of like a reluctant leader. Like, he he was expected to become the grand master of the Knights of Favonius. And then you have Rostam, who probably wanted it more than Arundelin, but because he was from a peasant family, he became Arundelin's second in command. And then you have Rostam, who there are all these rumors about he's like running the spy network behind Arundelin's back. And he mentors roland or who became the white knight and instilled in him all of these ideas of chivalry and justice and it's almost like roland took these ideas and like just became obsessed and like went way too far with all of them Mm -hmm. so you have like his teachers who were sort of in the middle and like in a moral gray area and then you have their student who is like actually takes what they're preaching as gospel and just goes off the deep end with
3: it. He goes way too far.
0: And so, he becomes the white knight. It's, he becomes known as that, and he catches the eye of a particular woman known as the maiden beloved. Yeah,
3: he saves her. She's the damsel in distress. Yeah, what does he save her from exactly? Like It's unclear. It's probably a cat in a tree. It's nothing.
2: A cat in <laughs> yeah. a tree.
3: <laughs> I feel
0: like she like tripped in a puddle and he
1: like picked her up I mean to her absolutely saved her fucking life too awesome like this this dumb bitch yeah it's not really stated well
2: at that point he's so obsessed with chivalry and just this that like whatever he does to save her she immediately falls in love that's what the whole maiden beloved artifact set is about is like her being in love with him
1: mm-hmm. she says time stops for her
2: yeah and she tries to to reward him with something and he's like huh, oh no chivalry is its own reward like he's so in the depths of his obsession with chivalry at that point that he's like no don't worry about it but i will take that flower that you want to give me and adorn it upon my armor
3: like woo-hoo, i'm gonna put it right here for you lovey so everybody can see look what i got from this damsel who i
1: helped it's kind of like the, the idea of giving someone a handkerchief before they go out and like hear a token i just remember it from shrek
0: <laughs> but yeah I, the main beloved like she sounds a little they both sound crazy which makes them
1: almost like perfect for each other
2: <laughs> yeah but he didn't know he was crazy at the time so
3: i mean when you are obsessed with justice anyway oh yeah they're totally nuts granted we don't know what he did and there is a thing of like it's actually called white knight syndrome it's an actual thing that happens when you, people do something for somebody else that like saves their life or perceive that it saves their life they will fall in love with them it's almost like the opposite of like how you fall in love with your captor like oh. that whole kind of thing like um, stockholm syndrome yeah like stockholm syndrome but it's kind of a little bit of an opposite because you're not actually being captured by them but you're being saved by them or you perceive that they saved your life yeah so it's an actual psychological phenomenon and she kind of is like almost like a stereotypical use case of it because she's like oh my god you saved me i fell in love with you and i want you to take me with you and it could have been for something as silly as a cat in a tree you don't we don't know that's true but you know him on the other side is like no (laughs) i can't take that i can only take my reward of being chivalry
2: is its own reward well we also. Also know that this is, you know, we know that like legends in this game might not be fully what happened. Mm-hmm. Like right. it might just be a parable of something. So. Very
1: true. Very true. That's why I was going to bring up Lancelot and Queen Guinevere from the King Arthur mythos. And it kind of reminds me of that because this whole sarcastic productions that kind of went into the idea of courtly love and chivalry and why that became a big thing in storytelling And like this, we're in love, but we're, you know, have to look longingly at each other from across the way and never fulfill that, you know, love for each other. We just are courtly loving type of a thing. And it kind of reminds me of that. Like, oh my gosh, my chivalry, my honor. I can't love you. So I'm going to be over here moping about it.
0: Meanwhile, the main beloved's like, just come over here already. (laughs) (laughs) I will kiss you. You will enjoy it. We will be great. (laughs)
1: it'll be a fun time
0: he's kind of like (laughs) no
2: i think it was sort of the symbol of his impending doom that he was like no uh i have to keep going with my chivalry Mm -hmm. and keep seeking justice and i can't stop and like deal with like romance i have to actually keep killing monsters
3: yeah he didn't want to go off his chosen path which leads to his ultimate destruction
2: it was foreshadowing that was the word i was thinking yeah yeah
1: Uh, (laughs) let's shadow that four let's go (laughs) (laughs) let's backtrack real
0: quick then so we have our white knight who is being courted by the maiden beloved and, you know, eventually the cataclysm happens. And when the cataclysm happens, Rostam, the person who trained him, dies. And our white knight, Roland, goes on this conquest that Beech is kind of hinted at, where he decides that he is going to fight for justice in any way he can. And he goes off and he starts killing monsters left and right. To the point that all of the items on him become bloodstained, hence his new nickname, the Bloodstained Knight. This includes all of the artifacts mentioned in the bloodstained chivalry set, which includes the flower that the main beloved had given him. Mm -hmm. So he becomes a shadow of himself, basically, but continues to use the terms justice, chivalry, freedom, as his reason for doing so. Mm -hmm. And it's a little denialist. (laughs) like. Yeah. He's refusing to believe that he's turning into the bad guy.
2: And he's not alone in this because we know that the Viridescent Venerer went through the same thing, Mm -hmm. as did Rosaline, a.k.a. Senora, who was Rostam's lover. And so when Rostam dies during the Cataclysm, we know that Arundelin, the Grand Master, sort of gave up on everything because he was so heartbroken We know that Rosaline basically turned evil because she was so heartbroken. And now we have Roland, his student, who, you know, like, Rossin was very much his mentor. Now he's heartbroken and he is just, like, hell-bent on justice.
0: You want to know something? We've mentioned this once or twice before about how they're really digging into, like, the Monset backstory here. But it's interesting that just about all of these characters that we've mentioned, when Rostam dies, go mad in their own ways. And yes. it's actually very similar to last week when we talked about the death of the goddess of flowers. It's almost like a mirror of it, but they mm-hmm. happened at the same time, too. Or at least similar times. You know, they're closer together than anything we see in the current time. Right. And
2: I mean, God, Goddess of Flowers dies, I think, well before this, but the, the effect that it has on the two others that were sort of in that threesome with her, it sort of echoed in the storyline.
0: Right. No, you're right. And I think it's interesting, too, because a lot of these characters, we all have like some ulterior uh, identities for them, too. And it's like, why are all these Monza characters potentially like evil, horrible people now? It's so strange, but I digress.
3: Are you worried that that's what's going to happen to Albedo?
0: No, I think that the current members of Monza are going to rise above their past. (laughs) and they're gonna be great wonderful people Tim.
2: (laughs) (laughs) but we realize that the reason that they are being corrupted and sort of turning evil is because they're slaughtering all of these abyssal monsters Mm -hmm. after the cataclysm starts they're slaughtering abyssal creatures he's called the bloodstained knight because the abyssal blood is spattering his armor And we know from earlier stories with Child falling into the Abyss. Right. We know that with Zhao and the other Adepti that there is this sort of corruption that happens when you're killing Abyssal gods and monsters that corrupts you yourself. Like you're being poisoned by killing these monsters. So Mm -hmm. we know that Viri and Roland are being poisoned by all of the monsters that they're killing in the name of justice. And so that turns both of them into monsters themselves.
3: And I'm going to imagine that taking a little dip in one of the many bodies of water around Tavat didn't clean off this coagulated blood that has been spattered all over them, or they mm-hmm. were just so nasty they didn't go and try. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, if they had just used the new Honkai Star Rail Sampo shampoo. Oh my, oh
3: my god.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they might have been cured. I don't know. It's true. That's just my thought on it. I don't know. know, He's like better than Bath and Body Works from my understanding. But the Bloodstained Knight, you know, aka Roland, aka White Knight. He goes on this adventure, basically. I say adventure. Very lighthearted. He goes on this path.
3: <laughs> of
0: murder. And he actually is the person who kills the viridescent venerer. And in, I believe it's in the Hunter's Path bow, there's a description of it, but that bow basically was Viri's. And the Bloodstained Knight says to Viri, So you were just another beast to destroy, tempted by the illusory silhouette of the moon in the water. How strange for a moment I thought I saw a maiden lost in the forest and then he goes all fucking white knight on us for a minute and goes I must continue westwards for the sake of justice. To settle the crime of twisting man into a beast's form. Which also confirmed to me that at least we know Viridescent died after the cataclysm for sure <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> because the Bloodstained Knight had been to Conria at that point. But I skipped ahead because I'm an ass. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to backtrack again. Wrap that back. <laughs> the Bloodstained Knight goes on this journey. And he ends up going to Conria to die? Question mark. He's like given up. Mm-hmm. He's gonna go like. Imagine
3: that's where you yeah. decide to go to like die. It almost actually doesn't seem like he has good intentions in the side. Like he's like, I'm going to shit. This is not working. I'm horrible. I should just go throw myself into this battle and in one last try to help protect people. I'm gonna go to Conria and fight monsters. But this is where it gets a little bit confusing because the one of the artifacts actually says that he does that and then he dies in the battlefield. But right after that. <laughs> He then learns about the Conrian curse.
2: Yeah. It sort of, it very much contradicts itself.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: It says deep in the abyss where celestial bodies cast no light, the Ooh. bloodstained knight kept his timepiece though. Time had lost all meaning at the end was the bloodstained night story for he realized there was no place for him on this earth. He ventured into the fallen ancient kingdom aka Conria, and died in battle in the monster's lair. At the bottom of the world, he learned the origin of the monsters that destroyed the ancient kingdom. The ancient kingdom was wrongfully cursed, turning its inhabitants into monsters, The code of chivalry tolerates not such injustice. If Abyss be thy name, I pledge to you my loyalty. So this is very confusing because it makes it sound like he died and then figured out the curse of Conria and pledged himself to the Abyss after
1: death Mm -hmm. do you think it could have been more of a metaphorical death rather than like
2: legit death that's what i was thinking at first yeah
1: unless he's legitimately
3: you know uh a zombie (laughs) like he cheated up he cheated up i mean i mean i think that there there was definitely a well he doesn't put it in the same way of when he changed from the white knight to the bloodstained knight was there like this like kind of transformation or being called like death
2: well he was definitely transformed because we know that his face was so transformed monstrously that he actually put on like an iron mask yes
1: and that's confirmed in the the black sword description right Mm -hmm.
3: yeah and that that's his it's in his. That's the actual shield that's in his artifact set as well. But also in the artifacts that is with the feather. His the feather is of a raven. And then he realizes, as he did turn bad, that all of his followers were ravens, and it was because they were drawn to the blood. And typically, in a lot of stories, and you know, in some factual things, but a lot of fairy tales and stories, ravens are always kind of shown as a, a as a metaphor for death. Edgar
0: Allan Poe.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. So that could have been his first death, and maybe then. They- this is his second and it, it is that metaphorical kind of changeover that he had in Conria to then when he pledges his health to the Abyss.
1: That could make sense and I mean there is something to say with ravens in, in our IRL life. They're carrion birds so they're going to just pick whatever they can find and scavenge and most of the time that's you know roadkill and, and you know gruesome shit.
2: <laughs> the timeline is very weird. It makes it sound like he doesn't realize that the conrian curse occurred until he was already there fighting yes Mm -hmm. and he's like this is the ultimate injustice but then dies slash goes into the abyss but then we also know that he you know stumbles upon viridescent
3: yes exactly
2: While he's on his way to Conria, and at first he's like, Oh, there's some maiden in the woods that needs help. But then when he sees her, she is so disfigured by her own like bloody corruption that he thinks that she's a monster. So he kills her. But then, while you know what Feeney just shared with us, is that he's like, I have to keep going westward. So he already knew about the curse when he killed Viri, but then we have this other lord telling us that he learns about it while he's fighting in Conria
3: Now I have I have a little bit of a theory there. What if there's a second curse?
2: A second curse?
3: I would believe that. A second curse. We know the curse of the hilly Charles, but we and we know that Danesleaf is cursed in some way, you know, have his bodies being wrenched apart.
0: And same for Clothar. Mm-hmm. He's human when we see him. For those of you who don't know, he is the man, the myth, the legend. Mentioned during the Kari Bear storyline that we meet. (laughs) He is totally human. His curse is just living forever.
2: Oh, yeah, because he was a part of the royal family, right?
0: Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if the royal family curse was known right off the bat. Because they were coming out going, Holy shit. Like (laughs) we we can't die. So he's like, Oh, they're talking about all these monsters. Let me go fight them. And then he finds out also the twisting of man into a beast. But I will say, I personally think he didn't kill Viri until after he was in Conria. Because he says he's continuing westward. I don't know where West is. I have no idea in this game where Westward is.
3: Well, we do know. We know where the door to Conria is, and that actually would be west of where he would have started from. The south, but also west.
0: Because I feel like he's maybe going to like Natlon or something. I don't know, like or Leeway. I don't the directions are all amiss. But I feel like he runs into very after Conria, personally. I could be very so wrong. So
2: that's a really interesting theory because maybe he went to fight a Conria. And then he finds out about the ultimate injustice. And then he pledges himself to the abyss. Maybe the abyss grants him another chance or a new life or saves him from death. And then that's when he puts on the iron mask and becomes something else.
0: Let me tell you, he's a hot mess, this guy. Like, A. But B, doesn't this sound a little too similar to our sibling? Awesome. our sibling went to conria saw what happened and then eventually pledged themselves to the abyss
2: oh, oh. yes I mean the key differences are hopefully our sibling didn't murder a bunch of people
0: oh our sibling totally did are you oh. kidding me <laughs> our sibling is like willing to murder anyone who follows an archon at this point in my opinion
2: (gasps) you think so
0: uh yeah yeah definitely
2: i know they're willing to order people things to murder so i guess there's not really a difference
0: And I also think it's interesting that, you know, in the Hunter's Path weapon, he says, I must continue westwards for the sake of justice to settle the crime. It's kind of like how our sibling and us are all on a journey, continuing our journey to, I don't know, we're not trying to settle justice and crime. We're trying to find our sibling. That's
1: true, but we are going westward. Like, we went west. We did go south to Inazuma, but we are continually going westward. South and West. South and West. Southwestern.
3: (laughs) Yeah, because then Azuma would be Southeast.
0: I will say, you know, there's been a lot of theories that like we are following the same path that our sibling did. And that our sibling we know is on a path for justice. I'm not trying to say that our sibling is the Bloodstained Knight because I definitely don't think that. But I think it's interesting. And I think even our path, we started out as... I'm looking for my sibling, but w- along the way, we have been doing lots of justice and crime settling. <laughs>
2: If the Bloodstained Knight is still alive, and they did join the Abyss Order, it would make sense that they joined at the same time as our sibling, because we know that our sibling started out, or allegedly started out, into that during the Cataclysm, and they met Dainsleaf at the Battle of the Cataclysm.
0: I think it's interesting that our sibling didn't meet Dainsleaf until the battle. Our sibling had been in Conria for like a few years. Again, another weird like timeline thing where you're like,
3: uh, is there a weird time loop what the fuck is going Mm -hmm. on well you think that our sibling was here and in conria or that could it have just been the years leading up to the battle i mean
2: i thought that our sibling either appeared or woke up during the cataclysm like that was their first sort of conscious introduction to this world
1: Mm, and that could
2: be wrong but that's how i interpret things interesting
0: we've talked a lot about our sibling and us and like what is the discrepancy between when they woke up and when we woke up and you know were we traveling a lot across Tava and we maybe don't don't remember things and there's a lot of questions about that. Mm -hmm. We do know that Danesleaf and our sibling went back to Conria now (laughs) after the fight. Yeah. So I wonder if they met the bloodstained knight in there even. Yeah
3: because we don't know if he's dead. Like, well, I mean, so if we take that the, the words that he died are metaphorical, and he did live on after that, we don't know if he then, I mean, it's been 500 years, but I mean, I guess people live very long in Tavot, but... right, Did he still hang around? Was he still alive? Did he still have a lot to do with all this stuff? Was he trancing around with Danesleaf?
2: Could he have sacrificed his, like, mortal self to join the abyss order is that what you have to do
3: yeah so now here's the interesting thing so we were talking about it quite a bit about how he said he pledged himself to the abyss but there are theories out there that he is a part of the fatui which would have meant he needed to pledge his loyalty to the saritza
2: right yeah there is a theory i I mean i don't know who else besides us has come up with this theory
3: oh it's everywhere yeah no (laughs) it's a very common theory
2: (laughs) we came up with this theory that the bloodstain knight is el il capitano yes which makes sense because we know that he wears some kind of mask
1: and it's also in the winter's night Lazzo. In that Fatui teaser trailer for the Harbingers, at Signora's funeral, Capitano says something very poignant. Though her method tarnished her honor, Signora's sacrifice is a great pity. And this is the first thing we hear him say, and he's directly referencing honor. And it's like, well, this is odd, because you would think Fatui Harbingers wouldn't care for honor. They're, you know, semi-sleazy. But (laughs) <laughs> That's the very first thing he says. He's talking about honor,
3: and he has an iron mask. <laughs> the honor, though, I think they look at honor differently, and I think that they honor. I mean, they they are completely loyal and everything to the Soritsa. So I think it might not be the same as we would accept it to be. But I think even like within every microcosm within this Tavat world, each of these group they all think they're right they all think that they're doing the best thing and they all kind of have something that they look at as a leader or to have some sort of loyalty or honor to
2: yeah and I think that we'll learn a lot more about the Fatui and Fontaine but I do really like this theory that the Bloodstained Knight is Il Capitano because I think that you know we've talked about how the Fatui and the Abyss Order have like this puzzling similarity and their end goal of overthrowing Celestia So it's easy to think about like someone from one faction going over to the other.
0: Absolutely. And I do want to just throw out one quick question before we take a deep dive into the Capitano theory because I am a huge proponent of this. But just to backtrack too a little bit to the fact that the Bloodstained Knight pledged himself to the Abyss, that brings to me a question of timeline again. From the Kari Bear storyline, we know that Clothar started the Abyss and we know that he hung out with our siblings for a while and we know that he had been out of the cataclysm for x number of years like an unknown number of years too at that point i feel like when we originally did kari bear we felt like he had been out of the abyss for a hundred years and that wouldn't be possible if the abyss had already been started by the time the bloodstained knight got into conria because the bloodstained knight i'm assuming is still humanoid (laughs) when he (laughs) enters conria like he wouldn't be able to live that long so i did just want to mention that there is another interesting kind of timeline question going on here of like how long was it between when the cataclysm happened to when clothar created the abyss order yeah or is it possible that the bloodstained knight didn't necessarily pledge allegiance to the abyss order but just like the abyss realm which brings a whole other Mm -hmm. fucking plethora of
3: questions with it yeah no that's a great way to look at that that really is like because yeah it's not the abyss order it's just the abyss like this thing
2: what if the bloodstained knight is the voice in the crystal that clotar hears
3: oh
0: my god that would make so much fucking sense oh my god yes because like we went over last week with detrit and everything when conria caused all this shit and caused the cataclysm to happen it was because they ripped a tear into the abyss right so Mm -hmm. the abyss was already kind of bleeding into conria at that point so it would be interesting if he went to the Abyss and he probably could take over all the monsters in the Abyss. And he could be if he did, like, give up his life and his, like, human existence to join the Abyss and, like, live forever or whatever. Uh-huh. Or live He definitely could could be that ominous voice talking out of the abyss trying to corrupt someone you know even though he wouldn't see it like that he'd be like justice for all
2: If it's like the ultimate injustice and he sort of pledges himself to the abyss then yeah it would make sense that he would basically use the fissure between worlds to recruit other people like he could be The origin of the Abyss Order.
3: But also, think of all those hilly trails that are coming back to that crystal and like bowing and, Mm -hmm. you know, being irreverent and all that kind of stuff. If he changed himself and gave up his human life for them, that could be looked at as a savior. Oh my God, we could just bring it all back to White Knight Syndrome. These hilly (laughs) trails in that cavern have White Knight Syndrome. (laughs)
2: and the crystal he calls himself a sinner
3: oh that's right that makes sense too mind is balloon i'm all over this And it
0: would be interesting, too, you know, he does speak very like, oh, dear creature, why do you bow down (laughs) for a power that you covet? It would be very interesting if he learned when he joined the Abyss, too, that he was a sinner, right? Because he probably was like, this is just a theory, of course, but if he was killing hilly trolls the entire time and then got to Conria and realized he had been killing human beings the entire time, Mm -hmm. he might have considered himself a sinner at that point too and that might be another greater reason for him to give himself
3: to the abyss at that point i consider myself a sinner every time i have to kill a hilly churl now i get so <laughs> sad when there's a, just a random dead hilly churl just hanging about i get so upset about it because i'm like oh my god it hurts <laughs> I'm like that kid who, after watches a Disney movie, then, like, won't eat fish anymore because they watched Finding Nemo.
1: <laughs> I mean, you had a point, though. Who can't eat Nemo or his dad.
2: Can we talk about his brother?
1: <laughs> yes! I don't know, can we? <laughs> so, talked about this in the very episode, but in... One of the newer artifact sets, the Deepwood Memory set, there is reference to a young blind boy whose brother was a knight, and he kind of just, you know, went off.
2: A white knight.
1: A white knight, kind of following him. He was blind, and he ends up being the blind boy, or we suspect it's the blind boy that Viri finds dying in the woods.
2: Or was he dying? So... We know that Roland's brother, he was blind and he was wandering different kingdoms into that, sort of following in the footsteps of his brother. He was also obsessed with justice. And we know that his path crossed with viridescence. And we know that he was killed by a monster, but while he was dying, Viri found him And he actually gave his bow to Viri. And Viri ended up killing the monster that killed him. And this was sort of the first time that she killed out of vengeance instead of the hunt, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of led her down the path of, you know, retribution. And it really put her on the same type of path that the Bloodstained Knight was on. Which is ironic because, you know, this was set in action by the Bloodstained Knight's brother. Mm, Okay. She got her weapon from him. She killed for him. And that led her onto this path of destruction and corruption. And then she ended up getting killed by the Bloodstained Knight.
0: Isn't that insane? Like, why is this so full fucking circle? And it's interesting, too, that they, like, purposely hid all this lore in, like, artifact sets, so it's like, you'll want to know about all these people who are major plot points in the old Mondstadt lore and possibly in-game still? Well, good fucking luck. You can't even find it in the library.
2: (laughs) It's also really interesting to think about what motivated them all to go down this path, because... It seems very clear that blood of the abyssal creatures that they were murdering left and right Mm -hmm. really corrupted them. And we've touched on that with Child when he fell down into the abyss as a kid and with Zhao and the other adepti who were slaughtering gods and like the poison of the gods that were affecting them like it seems very clear that like the more abyssal creatures you kill the more likely you are to become evil and monstrous yourself
0: yeah absolutely Mm. which is why i think our siblings evil too just saying and it's interesting too because like we know skara went into the abyss a lot but we don't know what he did down there like,
3: we don't know if he was killing people. We also don't know what the effects of the abyss on a puppet is. Right. Yeah.
0: He's got a twofold thing. We don't know what's going on over there. It's true.
1: I mean, he's technically not living. Is he made of wood? Maybe.
0: We would know that. Like, Herta is made of wood, is made of, yeah, like, parts, true.
1: you know? So, I would have a hard time thinking if the abyss basically sucks life out of things, something that has a manufactured life, would that be affected? Mm.
0: Another question about it in regards to the Bloodstained Knight is that was he killing abyssal monsters before he gave his life away too? Or after? Like how evil would he be at
1: that point? I think we could, we could possibly say yes because Beery was killing abyssal monsters and that's what turned her kind of like cuckoo bananas. Like it really fucked her over.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And that's why he killed her because she was kind of becoming monster like so it's likely that the more abyssal things that you kill and the more you're affected by that the more you turn into an abyssal creature
2: what's really disturbing is that it seems like it affects their physical being because he started wearing the iron mask because his face got so distorted right and like creature like which and we know that like with viri she actually looked at herself and like a a pool of water and was like, oh, I'm no different than a beast myself. Mm -hmm. So we can only assume that that means that she was also monstrous looking and that's why he killed her.
3: It's also a common thread though. and But Rosaline does the same thing.
2: Oh yeah, she starts hiding her face. Yeah, she
3: puts the hat on. She wore a hat that to, it was this way she didn't like you know, when she was burning the monsters, it stopped her from being distracted and also to be able to like kind of stay focused on them. But it also made her not be able to see her burnt face in the water reflection. Um, So it kind of kept her at this arm's length from how bad she had gone. So it is a, a common element we see in a lot of these stories. I mean, with her, we know that she's real because we see her in the game and we can assume by the rest of the history and things like that that the bloodstain I actually is a person the maiden beloved is an actual person but there are like we mentioned very early on they could just be parables and fairy tales you know we've been proven that in sumero the aranara we always looked at as fairy tales they're very real so it could go either way but it's interesting to see that the history or the kind of the transition that they go through is very on point with one another.
0: This is like the one negative thing about not having Señora as a playable character in my opinion. Like I never wanted Señora, sorry. I just did not. I don't I was like gonna playing i going to say there's a
3: lot of reasons why it's bad that we don't have her as a playable character.
0: But one of the reasons that I think it's terrible is because we would get her voice lines and we would actually get to see if she talks about these characters that she would have known. Mm-hmm. Because even though she's not really mentioned in Roland's story, we know she knew him because his trainer, Rostam, was Senora's boyfriend. So they would have known each other. But I do want to backtrack now, just back to the Capitano theory. And I want to give you guys kind of a painting of what Capitano is like. For travelers who don't know, Capitano is one of the Fatui Harbingers. It is unknown what number he is, but he is either fourth or tenth. Him and... The Knave are the only two that aren't properly numbered right now. So fourth or tenth. If Capitano is the Bloodstained Knight, (laughs) I would think he might be fourth. But that's just my vibe, obviously. We only see Capitano once and that is in the Schne's trailer that al mentioned earlier where he says how sad it was that you know senora sacrificed her honor basically and i think it's interesting because she is called and i'm going to your pronunciation low falter by Capitano, and Lofalter is German, which we say that everything in Monset is German. But besides that, the things that we know about Capitano is that he is a great fighter. Child says that he's seen him in battle and that he's hoping that one day he'll be able to fight him, but right now Child is too low-ranked for him to even notice him. What a fangirl. (laughs) Skara, on the other hand, says that Capitano is ever-righteous but also brave and fearless, nigh invincible. He says, even my mechanical ears demand maintenance after listening to so many compliments. And he actually thinks that like him being so righteous is a danger, which is interesting because we see that with the Bloodstained Knight. Hmm. Another character that mentions Capitano is Mika. For our travelers who might not have been able to play the of Ballads and Brew event that happened in Monset recently, it's when we are first introduced to Mika Mika, as I like to call him, and he we find out has been traveling around with Varka, and he is sent back with a letter from Varka. Mika says that he met the Fatui harbinger known as the Captain, and that he couldn't even imagine how to deal with an opponent like him. And then Mika basically is like, I. Suck. I need to go train. (laughs) And I'm never gonna live (laughs) up to that. But on top of that, Mika actually has met the captain at or Capitano, whatever you want to call him, on a more serious level, where he was actually traveling with Varka. They had entered like a dangerous, restricted area. And I don't remember what Mika was doing, but all of a sudden he could tell that something was going wrong and he could smell gunpowder in the air, which honestly gunpowder
3: where where are yeah. their guns like where are their guns that need powder because the only gun we have is the, the big old guy with the ice shooting kind of cannon
0: well the little the little fire oh, guy yeah, in the got, Fatu- like, he a has a gun yeah but like does this mean that mons that like the knights of favonius have guns got a lot of questions about that but basically Mika says that when he emerges from his tent he goes to figure out what's going on that there have been battle lines drawn between the Fatui and the Nysophonius that are being led by Varka Uh, Mika says that later on he finds out that something had happened and they had come across each other and like this skirmish had kind of started between the two groups and he specifically says that in the middle of like the Fatui he could see a very distinct silhouette eerily dark blue eyes that seem to glow with an uncanny aura and eventually like Varka goes up the Capitano, they talk it out, man to man, you know, very bro-esque. And <laughs> everything's cleared up and Varka is like, man, I would have loved to invite that guy to a duel. I'm like, Varka, <laughs> no. And then he also says, and it's not like he's a stubborn fellow, he was very well aware that engaging in a battle in a strange and foreign of land would have been disadvantageous for both of us. And in the letter that Mika brings back, during the Of Ballads and Brew event, Varka's letter actually says the Capitano was on his
3: way to Natlon.
0: Which is interesting because we were just like, was Bloodstained Night going west toward Natlon? We don't know.
3: Mm. I really do hope we get to see a little bit more of these fatuity harbingers in the next place release.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely hinting at it. I think the fact that we got to see a video of all of them.
3: Yeah, we're, we're going to.
2: We're going to see more of them.
0: But I just want to say that I think it's very interesting that they are also selling Capitano as righteous, fearless, brave, just. He's talking about justice with Signora. And also, a random fact, Victor, our favorite Fatui NPC who starts off in Mondstadt and then goes to Sumeru, even says that he would much rather work under Capitano. (laughs) And I don't know, there's something about Varka and him getting along. Wait.
2: More than who? More than the Saritza? No,
0: Victor is working under Pantalone, I believe, right now.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, whatever Victor is doing right now, he's doing things for Pantalone, basically. So he said that he would much rather work under Capitano because he looks up to Capitano. Which is interesting because Victor, I think, is like this morally gray character right now where he's in the Fatui. But he kind of wants to help that little girl in Mondstadt. Who has a lot of family drama going on. Jesus. Mm
3: -hmm. Lily's got a lot going on. Her mother. mm -mm.
0: (laughs) But I also think that, you know, you were, you both, all of you were mentioning earlier that the Bloodstained Knight ends up wearing like an iron mask. When we see Capitano, he has on an iron mask. We have no idea what his face looks like. I definitely think there's a lot of suggestions that they could be the same character. But that's still up to interpretation, of course. I do think the theory is pretty strong, though.
3: Yeah, I, I think it definitely is. I think what it really comes down to is that timeline and those those slight discrepancies and how you want to interpret those moments when he was in Conria. But it, it, yeah, it is a very strong theory.
2: It almost feels too easy, but the fact that he's allegedly dead yeah, and allegedly mm-hmm. joined the Abyss makes it more likely. So I don't know. Yes,
0: exactly. It's like they're kind of throwing you these loops where it's like it could and it couldn't be. It's kind of like when they were hardcore suggesting for a very long time that Piero was Kaya's father. Mm-hmm. And then they threw that fucking wrench out with Kari Bear. Because I'm not gonna lie, when they released Midsummer Lazzo or like midwinter Lazo, whatever. was <laughs>
3: They a, winter re- nights,
0: <laughs> a Winter Nights Lotso. Listen, they <laughs> released it in midsummer. <laughs> so <laughs> when they released the Winter Nights Lotso, everyone who saw Piero in that moment immediately went to Twitter and was like, also has an eye patch. <laughs> Kaya's dad confirmed. Like,
2: same eyes. Same
0: <laughs> eyes. Yeah, like Twitter went wild. And so I honestly feel like they may have done that a little on purpose. And when they came out with the Kari Bear quest line, and you find out that Kaya is a descendant of Clothar and you find out that Clothar was a member of the royalty in Conria because he's cursed with eternity not a hilly trollness and you find out that he's the founder of the abyss and that Kaya is a descendant of of the founder of the abyss you're like oh shit well it can't be Piero because Piero was alive during the cataclysm and he wasn't cursed like that that we know of so you know Interesting thoughts. I also would like to mention one other interesting fact I found when doing my deep dive on El Capitano. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, Capitano's number in the Fatui is not known, right? He's fourth or 10th I'd like to believe that he's fourth just because that would mean he got recruited sooner. And I think it lends more to the Capitano is bloodstained knight theory. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, our other character who is an unknown number is the Knave, who we have previously theorized could be Viri. Now, that was, I think, a much less hardcore theory. But it made me want to know who the first three Harbingers were officially. And they're Piero, DeTore, and then Columbina, who is also known as the Damselet. And I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that she sings and the Maiden Beloved sings. And I don't know. <laughs> maybe there's a possibility that they're also the same person because she's that crazy bitch, man. Yeah. She's also known as the Maiden. That's like one of her code names, too. I don't know.
3: It's just really yeah. interesting. And it could be, but it also could be like, you know, Yunjin sings too, and she's not the Maiden. So. <laughs>
0: Wait, wait, Why did wait, what?
3: <laughs> what did you just say? I said, Yunjin sings and she's not the maiden. So, but there could be, it could be a, a tie-in, but it also could be something as simple as it's just singing.
2: Right.
0: I will say, you know, Child does say about the damslet. <laughs> she goes, when it comes to her, something just doesn't feel right. <laughs> anyway, you should just be careful around her. <laughs> I just think that that's really interesting because we just kind of talked about how she sees a little cray cray. Yeah. And Scarra also says that if we were a approach her, that with our conscious, we should stay away from her. Now, is she also the one
3: in the Winter Nights Lotso? Is she the one crying on the coffin? Singing on the coffin. Oh, that's <laughs> singing. I mistook her singing it. She's time. literally
0: like, Signora, you fucking bitch. I'm glad you're dead.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stay away from Capitano. <laughs> like. I wouldn't put it past her.
3: <laughs> yeah. but I did have one thing, and I don't think it's actually something to add, but my, I'm a very visual person. Um, So with the idea of the royalty of Conria escaping, like, as, like, everybody else is turning into a hilly trail, I'm obsessed with the door to Conria. And in my brain, all I saw was that door being flung open and all these, like, Richies running out, like, hello, motherfucker. <laughs> i got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> And they're met at the
0: door by Capitano as the Bloodstained Knight being like, get back in there, evil (laughs) doers. Yeah. And then they're like, no, no, we're in the woods being attacked. He's like, oh shit. Well, travelers, I do think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for going back to Old Monset with us and having some nostalgic feels. We all were missing Viri a lot. So it's nice to kind of talk about this little motley crew again. Just a reminder to travelers, if you liked this week's topic, you had some theories or thoughts around it, or you'd like to tell us topics you'd like to see in the future, please feel free to email us at tailstabotpod at gmail.com. Otherwise, next week we are going to be talking about Rosaria. So we're going to be staying in Mondstadt. Woohoo! Otherwise, travelers, safe journeys. We'll see you next time.
2: Bye, chivalrous nerds.